0: Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited Podcast with me Tom and me Joe. The podcast where we re the Bond films one by one, discuss them and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode 13 where we'll be revisiting the film Octopussy. Now it's a very strange feeling to not have much to say about a film before watching it and then watching the film and somehow having less to say about it. <laughs>
1: That's so true. You just, you, that is exactly,
0: you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. It's like, I put this very low on my initial ranking in episode zero. I can't, it might have been third worst, something like that. And that was all about saying, like, I don't remember this film, but it's probably bad because it's towards the end of Roger Moore's era, which I'm not a big fan of. And now that I've watched it, it's like, I don't. Yeah, I, I still feel pretty confident in that, I guess. It's so. Some...
1: Oh god! I feel like I probably it would have been better maybe if I hadn't have watched this and just made it up for this for this episode. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, and just, then just Bond says, it. "Darling,
0: what's up with that?"
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like I would have had more to
0: talk about. I think you're right. Like, if you gave someone like the plot synopsis of like, okay, Bond is going to go to India for this one, and like just go crazy with it, you probably would hit the nail on the head of some of these. Like, oh, we there's a tiger. <laughs> Yeah. Elephants. (laughs) Elephants. Like, you could just say all the stereotypes and probably be like 80% correct in what (laughs) you're talking about, despite never seeing the film.
1: Yeah. But we saw it. We saw it.
0: I think it is very fair to say, you know, we're we're quite negative right off the bat, but I think even before we both watched it, this was the first one that we've done of these where neither of us was excited about rewatching this.
1: No. And I think... Especially considering how much I liked For Your Eyes Only last time and how much of a change of pace that was and knowing that we were going to come back to this one, I think that made it worse for me.
0: Yeah, I've, yeah. I mean, I kind of was expecting this a little bit, but you would think like, yeah, like for someone like yourself, where For Your Eyes Only should have set the template for all the Jungleland films. And to be fair, there is stuff that's kind of carried across. And I think you can tell these are the same director, but I don't know. Like something went wrong here. Something went very wrong. I well,
1: I guess we should also mention with this film um, because a lot when people do do discuss this, they always say about how this came out at the same time as the rival Bond film because there was the Never Say Never Again film that they got Sean Connery back for the whole thing with Kevin McClory reared its ugly head. And so I think there's definitely an element of they wanted to make this as Bondy as possible to try and kind of. Uh, beat the competition, I guess.
0: Just whatever that means, though. <laughs> like, yeah. It feels like they yeah. accidentally already did that with the last film and they kind of already used a lot of ammunition for that one. So, what are they going to do for this one? You might be thinking to do that and uh,
1: just throw uh, everything, everything. Whatever they it. felt like. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just an incoherent mess of a film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and end podcast. There and we go. Done. Let's wrap that up. <laughs> the music and we'll get out of here.
1: Nice and short this week. Lovely. Yeah, I like it. I like that.
0: <laughs> okay, let's get into it this year. Right. So we kick off with the circles and Bond coming across and we get a very old school version of the Bond theme. I couldn't yeah. tell you exactly what film this is from, but it feels like it's either like Dr. No or From Russia With Love or something like that. This is like... I'm pretty sure, and I didn't double check, this is just like the original version of it. No remixes, no updated version. This is just the original Bond theme from the 60s.
1: Yeah, it did sound old. It didn't have any sort of flourishes to it that some of the previous ones had. So very much back to basics.
0: Which I liked. I thought that was a nice touch. I mean, you've already kind of mentioned how the we're going to see this a lot throughout this film, but the reason why they probably did this version of the Bond theme, the classic original version, is due to the competition with Never Say Never Again. So it's somewhat of a shame that that's the reason, but it was still nice after all these films uh, to hear that original version again.
1: Yeah, yeah. And nothing else has changed there, right? It was still the the same walk and dots and all that jazz.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we start on a... I put military base, but this is very confusing, this setting. So it's a military base because you see a lot of hangars, you see a lot of troops. Uh, There might be some tanks there, I I can't quite remember. But there's clearly a lot of military presence. But at the same time, you see a load of horses. There's like a horse race going on at this military base. Which is just very confusing right off the bat, so don't... Hold on to that feeling.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Just put a pin in that.
0: Yeah, because this is not as confusing as it gets. But you see someone driving this brown Jeep with a a carriage, with a horse behind it, to joining in the horse racing. And I saw that as Bond straight away and was like, no, that can't be Bond. That would just be silly. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it's Bond. That's Bond. (laughs) Yeah. And we see that there's, I put Cuban general because it's a uh, some sort of general or some sort of high military officer but he has that very classic cuban look with like the hat and the green uniform and like the big bushy beard um well, so i was kind of going on the assumption that this was taking place somewhere in cuba
1: yeah after last the last film which featured margaret thatcher i did watch this and think is that meant to be fidel castro <laughs> cuz it looks a lot mm. like him <laughs> but no i think it's just a general a general person yeah
0: Yeah, but I I still... We were talking about this before we started, but I don't know where this takes place, and my assumption was that it's Cuba, but it's such a weird location that you just don't really get enough clues to know for sure.
1: Yeah, I had no clue. This is where we needed some text on the screen, which does come up later in the film, but here, no, none.
0: No. So Bond parks up with his horse, or parks his jeep up with his horse that he's carried there, and he takes off... So he's in very much like... I don't know horse care gear, like posh git sort of gear with this this cap and mm-hmm. yeah, Cravat, very much like yeah. a very horse guy. Uh, so he takes off this yellow shirt that he had, and he reverses his jacket, reverses his hat, reverses everything to turn into a, an officer. Uh, so he's dressing himself up as one of these officers at the base. And a woman shows up, and that's Bond's contact who is helping him out. They they talk a little bit about what's going on, and the woman gives Bond an ID which has him as a toro i think is the guy's name so he's dressing up as a is it a lieutenant something like that yeah some high up rank yeah a high up officer so bond is now flipped all his clothes dressed up and the woman gives him the id which says toro and there's a little mustache on there like (laughs) it this did make me laugh actually there's like we get a zoom in on the id and there's a picture of roger moore but it's like got a little mustache on there So Bond takes the ID and is about to leave and she's like, no, 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 you got to put on the moustache. Which
1: (laughs) she doesn't do very carefully. I swear it was wonky. (laughs)
0: It it looked a bit off. She did just slap it on. Yeah, no
1: care. Yeah. Uh,
0: So Bond is now in this disguise. So he goes from one disguise to another disguise. He starts walking through the military base. He gets to an army checkpoint. He acts like an officer. I think he corrects someone on something. He's like, oh, I'm Robert. like, Not really saying anything because he'll give it away, but he walks through and we also see these SAM missiles, service to air missiles uh, around as well. So I guess take note of that. And he enters this hangar with these military planes inside and lots of soldiers everywhere, lots of kind of stuff going on. And Bond goes through the base. He goes behind these like small walls and finds a man with this like mini little radar dish that's making some bleeping sounds. Apologies if I'm being vague, but just so you know, this has nothing to do with the rest of the film. (laughs) So so if I skip any details, you're literally missing nothing uh, because it never comes up again.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, So Bon judo-chops the man, starts putting explosives on this radar, this mini little radar dish, and as he's doing that, these kind of walls around him drop and he's completely surrounded. And the real Toro shows up, and you see them standing side by side because he's got the little moustache and everything, and he's like, ah, take him away. And Bond says, ah, you're a Toro too, which, okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. A little bit too late now, Bond, yeah, just...
0: (laughs) Yeah, still very casual, cocky uh, Roger Moore Bond here. Yeah. And Bond is captured, and Bond is put onto a jeep to be taken away, and the woman that he was there with, did you catch her name by any chance? No, no. Did she have a name? I have no clue. I would assume so, but again, she never comes up again. So I just put woman. Yeah, woman. Uh, so, yeah, so Bond's been captured. She sees this and she gets in her car and drives up to the car. So the jeep with the soldiers in with Bond is driving. She drives up alongside and starts doing some, hypo put, kissy faces. Uh, she's trying to distract the guards to help Bond escape. And he, she's all like showing some leg and being... Trying to be all sexy and all like, hmm, hi boys. Uh, and the soldiers initially aren't having it, but then we get some quite good facial expressions from Roger here, where he's trying to like egg them on to go check it out, be like, hey man, like, it's a lovely lady right there. Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but because they don't speak the language, Bond is just, Roger Moore's just like going crazy with his eyebrows and eyes to like, hey, look over there, man. It's it's good stuff.
1: It's eyebrow overload from, from Sir Roger there. He was in his element.
0: Yeah, exactly. He doesn't need a stuntman for that. Oh, no. Those muscles are working just fine. <laughs> uh, so eventually the guards do look over and Bond pulls the two parachutes, like these two soldiers, I guess, because it's uh, some sort of air base. Uh, he pulls the two parachutes and so they get taken away by their parachutes. Uh, and the woman starts doing the same to the driver and a, a general or an officer at the front. The officer smiles, and I think Bond shoots the driver, shoots someone.
1: Yeah, I think he shoots the tires to sort of ah, get it out of control. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he shoots the tire, and I want to say jump off. I'm, I can't quite. I think jumps on. Yeah, jumps onto the car that the woman is driving. Mm. Um, so as the woman is being all like flirty and stuff, and the, the general kind of is smiling, but then stops smiling because sees Bond. Bond shoots the tires. And they crash into a chicken coop, which I don't know if we need some sort of chicken counter for this franchise, but I did not realize how many times they just have someone crash into a chicken coop and I think chickens are
1: there. I think it's got something to do with John Glenn. I think he has a thing for birds.
0: That's very true, but I think this has happened before the John Glenn oh, okay. films as well. Okay. But you're right, because For Your Eyes only had this where the, the German guy crashed into a. A chicken coop as well.
1: He loves his chickens and his pigeons and his doves and all sorts of birds, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess so, but uh yeah, so Bond says thank you to the woman and something about seeing her in Miami. I don't I don't it doesn't matter. It does guys, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. (laughs) It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. So all the sirens are going off, so they now know Bond has escaped or they're coming after Bond. So Bond The woman was actually bringing the horse carriage, whatever you call it, the thing that Bond was driving. Like, that's there. So Bond gets into it, climbs back, gets into it, unhooks it, gets in, and we see the back of it open, and that the horse was actually a fake horse. What? Yeah, it's... I was fooled. Wow. I was like, that was a horse, but it isn't, though. That's crazy. Uh, So the back of this horse, because it is just the back, like, goes upwards... And Bond then drives out of the carriage in this small little plane. And a load of cars and bikes are charging him, he's charging them. He just flies over at the, the last second and starts flying around the base to escape. Uh, all the while, the SAM missiles that we saw before start firing missiles at Bond. So Bond is just, dry, well, just tries to outmove them, really. No fancy gadgets, which I thought was quite a nice touch, actually. Uh, he drives quite fast all the way around. He avoids at the last second, it comes back, so he goes into the hangar that he was before where Toro is. They try to close the door. Of course, Bond just makes it. The missile follows him, so the doors are now closed, so the missile blows up the hangar. We get a giant explosion. For some reason, we have a load of rich folk nearby being like, oh, goodness. Uh, Bond lands at... but Bond is running out of fuel because he's now gone away. He stops at a gas station like a really small rural gas station, parks up next to the where the gas is, and then asks the man to fill her up, and that's your opening sequence.
1: Yeah, nice big smile at the end there, and then that's it. So <laughs>
0: normally I would have stopped a little bit more to talk about this, but this whole sequence is just so whatever, like not really bad, and I think some of the plane stuff is quite cool. I did quite enjoy that, especially just because of how quick it is, and I think the design of Bond's small plane is... It's pretty solid. I do quite like it, but everything else was just like so generic. I I just I don't think much of this scene at all.
1: I think you're right in saying it's just it's just okay. It's not bad. It's not great. I like Bond in disguise and I like the little inside out uh, um, kind of yeah, general disguise that he's got going on there. And I, I like how he deals with. Because when he goes to plant the the bomb on the radar dish and then they find it and take it off. And I was there thinking, well, then how does he blow it up? Or does he just leave it? But then, oh, okay, he uses a missile. So I like, I like that, that he uses a missile to finish the job. But um, yeah, it is just very much a, okay, right, let's move on. There was nothing really stand out from it.
0: No. And they've gone back to something that I don't really like. They did this with the last film, technically, which we criticised that sequence quite a bit. But they're now doing it again where... John Glenn, I guess, doesn't like, or I guess his style is not to have the story or the plot matter in the opening sequence, which is such a huge shame, because it's something that you saw in all the Lewis Gilbert films with You Only Live Twice, and then when he came back for Spy Love Me and Moonraker, that he found a really great way of incorporating it in. Not so much Moonraker, I guess. <laughs> But you got to see Jaws in Moonraker at least, right? So that was mm-hmm. setting up Jaws was back at the very least. But The Spy Who Loved Me is one of the best ones because it combines the plot of the main film and kicks it off to help the film be a bit shorter, which this film could have done with, um, as well as a standalone great stunt. And for me, those are the two big things I want to see with this, uh, with these Bond sequences and Octopussy just completely, it's just none of this matters like, you could have just completely skipped it, you wouldn't have missed much, some of the elements are all right, it's just so, like, unneeded, and I don't think this is probably going to get fixed anytime soon, but I personally much prefer it, where you at least get some story stuff happening in this opening sequence, even if it's just like, oh, Bond is off elsewhere while this other stuff is happening, like, that's for me, is what I want the template to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would have liked it if it had a bit of a link, I think it- if it doesn't have a link, that's fine. But then it really has to be like, to me, it has to kind of stand out on its own. It needs to It needs to have something that really sets it apart and this just didn't. So yeah, kind of just the worst of both.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a shame. I don't know if we're going to move back to those type of sequence, but, but you're right, it doesn't technically have to. But I think with this one, and I think it's a trend of the John Glenn era where the films are starting to become longer and this film is pretty long, And they really (laughs) would have helped themselves. Yeah, they really would have helped themselves by cutting out five minutes by having some of that story be in this opening sequence. Like that would have been a massive boost to the film.
1: There's, I mean, we're we're only just getting started, folks. But the story of this film is just, yeah, it's a long film, and it's going to be interesting trying to explain some of this stuff.
0: Well, let's start with the easy stuff then, Joe. (laughs) Let's start with the opening sequence. Okay. credits.
1: Yeah, the pre uh, the, the title sequence. Um I'll start with the song. I think I used start with the song now, but the song is it's not anything to do with the, the film title, um, which is a rare occurrence for the Bond films, but there we are. Uh and it's All Time High by Rita Coolidge. I think John Barry was back for this one. Mm-hmm. Um but I ugh, this song is just so bad. I really don't like this song. It's an, uh, We've had so many of these types of songs now. They're kind of, yeah, gentler, softer, palady. I've, I've said it so many times in these episodes and I'm just so tired of it now. And this one in particular, I think just sounds really kind of schmaltzy and doesn't, it just doesn't sound like a Bond theme to me. Really? I would
0: agree with that. This is actually the first time in my notes where during the credit sequence I didn't write a single thing about the theme. Yeah. yeah. I just felt so like I was more interested in the the visuals to the point where it just ended. I was like, oh right, the song. Uh <laughs> what was that about then? Like it's it's so nothing. I don't really hate it, but I do kind of agree. It's not really a Bond theme and it is brutal how many films in a row we've had these romantic ballads and this is like the worst one but it almost feels like they had to hit like this rock bottom just so they can mix it up for the next film because obviously That's we true. both know what's coming but this feels like they had to they had to go all the way down i'm trying not to say all time low uh, <laughs> <laughs> they had to really sink to the bottom and really like be like guys what are we doing like sit down in a room and t- have an honest conversation with themselves so we could get something different because I can't believe how many of these type of songs they did in a row and how inconsistent they have been.
1: I do wonder, do they? when a Bond film comes out now, it's usually quite a big deal with the song and where it is in the charts because they have Adele and Billie Eilish and all that sort of stuff. Was it the same back then where there would be an element of this seems to be a, a a good song that does well in the charts? I, I think it
0: must have been right. Like with "Live and Let Die," I think that's when it probably would have started.
1: Yeah, and maybe maybe this this song just didn't have a very good reception. I mean, audience-wise for the film, but also just like listening to music. And yeah, that's maybe what made them realize, hmm, let's let's maybe change change tune with this. But it's just it's just as a tune, it just doesn't really go anywhere. It's so monotonous. You know what I mean?
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no. There's just nothing like. I criticized Moonraker for not really having a hook, but at least that was. Looking back, I feel a bit, a bit mean towards that theme, and maybe it's just this theme being a lot worse that's making me feel better towards it. But I would listen to Moonraker, which at the time I was a bit like, "This is very forgettable, whatever." But I would listen to that over this any day of the week, any yeah,
1: day. yeah, for sure. Uh, visually, I put down that it was more interesting visually. But then the, the bar is quite low for that. We have talked about how they just are not really getting these title sequences very, very right um, and, and just leaving it as these very plain silhouetted dancing women and not much else. Of course, that's in here as well. Um, but there's a few extra things. There's like they play around with some lasers and have like the outline of Bond and an outline of an octopus and 007 and projecting out onto women's bodies. And there's a few different things of like light rays coming out of guns and it's it's still it's still not amazing to me when I was watching it I I think maybe the song as well was just sort of of, just want to get through it but it was definitely a step closer to having more interesting visuals um it was just very I don't know if this is a fair uh kind of criticism to make but I put down that it's like it was very mishmashy but I think they kind of always are and even ones that I probably I'm going to say that I like are also probably going to be quite mishmashy and not very cohesive but this one was just like oh let's just use a laser oh let's just use this let's just use this but i'll take that compared to what we've had before
0: yeah it held my attention better than other ones like at least with some of these other recent ones after the first like 20 seconds you've kind of seen it all and i feel like this one isn't quite like that it's at least going to throw some other stuff at you yeah uh, not not all of it works i wasn't super into the laser coming out and we have some kind of quite awkward shots I would say there's like an awkward freeze frame on at some times and we have it where like there's a gun and like it's supposed to be that these red laser outlines of Bond or 007 are like shooting out of the gun and the women are like reacting to that which doesn't really work too well Mm. Uh, but also I should say it's really shocking just how many times they just have naked women in this and also the other ones and just don't hide it at all? No, not at all. I just didn't really think it went this far. Like, surely this is a PG or something, right? But like, yeah, it's just like just a naked woman, barely any lights to cover anything. And it's, I mean, I guess it is what it is. I just didn't think that's how these ones went.
1: I thought it was a bit more, I don't want to say tasteful, but I think I I would have, before watching some of these, um, I would have thought they towed the line a bit more. In terms of what they sh- they showed, maybe like a silhouette would be fine. But yeah, there's so many times where it's just, yeah, the lighting just changes and like, yeah, you can just see it, everything.
0: Yeah, it's very I sound weird.
1: like Patrick Stewart <laughs> in extras. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I saw I, it. <I'm> <laughs> I've seen it all. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was okay. It was it was fine. Uh, I did have something else to say then, but I've completely forgot. Oh, yeah, no, it was the freeze frame stuff. You're right. So they're re- really amateur when they just have like, it's just freeze frames. Because clearly, maybe they just, unless it was done on purpose, but it just, it it screams that they just didn't have like the right amount of footage to use. So it's like freeze frame. Okay, play it from now when we've got that bit come in. It's just, it looks really bad.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And there was also, speaking of looking bad, there was also a bit where like a, almost like a cutout of Roger Moore or James Bond comes up Mm. to then be surrounded by octopus tentacles, which just looked bad. Like, yeah. It made me think of Monty Python, honestly, because <laughs> it would just look so amateur because it wasn't just animated properly. It was just like slowly go up and then just like these tentacles just appear on him. And it or yeah, it looked very amateur.
1: I like the idea of it, but bad implementation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe
0: just not the budget being there. But yeah, they, they're trying to get a little bit more ambitious with these, but they still haven't broken away from that template like we get more women bouncing on trampolines again spinning in the air so many but like the 10th time i would have
1: that's a good point about that tentacle bit is like i was expecting there to be eight arms and there are only five yeah I because i counted i was like oh this is okay yeah octopusy tentacles uh, no it's five what's the deal come on can they not do they, have they seen an octopus
0: <laughs> maybe not i wouldn't maybe be surprised
1: not. anyway anyway let's move on um, so after the title sequence, we see a circus. And I think it does actually say East Berlin on screen as well. Um, mm. now. So we know where we are We're in East Berlin. Um, there's a circus. You hear all the circus noises and you see a clown, um, fleeing, running away from something, looking very scared. And, uh, it's in like this big, like it's a good clown Good clown costume, I'll say that is in the full gear. He's got some balloons attached to him as well and got his hat and his big yellow trousers and everything. And, yeah, he's running away from something and ends up having to go through a forest and some trees and shrubbery and everything. And you eventually see that he's being chased by this other circus worker because uh, he's kind of got, like, yeah, like a little red shirt and um waistcoat on and he's throwing... He's got knives to use as well as, like, throwing knives. And you do get a little bit of this clown going through and every now and then uh you know his hat might fall off or uh, a balloon would burst, and just giving the the chaser more of an idea of where he is, and you think that he's gotten quite far away from him, the clown until very suddenly there's another one right up close to him. You wonder how did that happen, and then you you realize that there are uh, they're twins, there's two of them actually chasing this clown, identical twins obviously from the circus so yeah uh the clown keeps going and gets to uh sort of like a bridge area near a uh a river and is just about to climb up when the the twins or one of them throws a knife and misses and another one throws and and gets the clown in the back which causes him to drop down into the river below and get washed away um so after that, you get a shot of this fancy looking building as a sign saying it's the British ambassador's residence, where they're clearly having or about to have some ball or some party because there's a man and a woman, kind of very posh looking older man and a woman getting ready in their very fancy room. Uh, and the, the woman's doing her makeup or something in the mirror. And in the mirror, she sees the clown who I guess wasn't quite killed, just injured Um Coming out of the river and smashes through the glass window or the glass door, and kind of just with his last breath falls and lets go of a an egg, a, a very fancy looking Faberge egg, and it rolls out of his hand. And this old man comes and and picks it up and has a look, and you know looks very confused and worried.
0: It is a confusing and worrying matter, isn't it, when a a clown breaks through your windows. And gives you a frappeurshay egg. I be confused and worried. I think it's a fair enough emotion. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's a fair enough uh, feeling. <laughs> um, I mean, this whole scene is quite like it does definitely throw you in. Uh, you know, you're cut, you're getting right in the middle of this this chase. Um, and I, I do like a lot of this because it is done very, it's done very visually. There is no dialogue in this scene. It is just someone, a clown, being chased, and you. The idea of this person in such a. Uh, comic outfit is being chased in in this really kind of deadly situation i i I like where this film starts and i like that smashing through and rolling it's very dramatic you know um so yeah i didn't mind how this film
0: started i just the problem is for me is that i think you're right the actual kind of scene and how it's put together is pretty good in terms of that chase and the panic there and the reveal of the twin and these guys throwing knives it's all very nice but it's the fact that it's bloody a clown and that it's all circus-based. Because if you took that element out of it, this would be a really intense, intriguing scene. But I'm not that intrigued about a clown giving someone an egg. I just... And I can't (laughs) get behind a clown being chased. It's just like... It just takes me out of it so much that I just didn't really feel anything about this opening scene. Like, it didn't make me intrigued or anything. But I think the idea of someone in East Berlin having this frappache egg and having to get it to the British ambassador that's intriguing but when you put a load of clown stuff in these knife throwers from a circus it's just like oh i mean this is a common thing throughout this film because guess what we're not this is not the first time we're going to the circus oh no Uh, we're going to be going back here again but making it a circus in a bond film i think was just a silly move it doesn't really annoy me but it definitely just takes me out of so much of this film because it's like i don't care about a load of circus people like i it just ruins it a bit this spy thriller you're trying to make
1: so would you have rather it was just a, a, just a, who the character actually is? Would you rather just it would just be them just in a like a covert yeah. disguise or something?
0: Yeah, something yeah. like that. Some something that kind of makes a bit more sense. Or if he was a soldier or something. But like, I don't know what they were thinking with this circus stuff. Like it becomes a heavy part of a lot of this film, and for me it's kind of like well I guess it makes it a little bit memorable because you're like oh yeah the one with the circus stuff. But it just really removes me out of this. I can't take this seriously when there's a clown running through a forest. Especially because, as you say, it's a very good clown costume. It is, yeah. (laughs) They went all in, but I'm just just not interested in a clown. Um, And I think it's probably the reason why this wasn't the opening sequence. I mean, the first one is probably because there's no James Bond in here. Uh, But I think the second one is that if you started on this, if you sat down in the cinema and this was the first thing you see... I don't know. Maybe that'd be quite cool, actually. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they probably wrote themselves into a corner where they couldn't have a circus brouhaha be the opening of the film. So they had to add in another like Bond sequence just so people, oh, it's, yeah, it's a Bond film. I get it. Yeah, I know this.
1: You saying that you're not a big fan of the clown stuff and the circus stuff, I do wonder what your thoughts are going to be come the end. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah, it comes back with a vengeance, the circus. Don't you worry about that.
0: <laughs> this is, <laughs> yeah, the themes of vengeance from the last film are back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what it's all about, taking vengeance. But, but yeah, so the the clown dies and gives the egg to the British ambassador, and we cut to, to London, and we see a first-person view of Bond holding his hat, and he's about to toss the hat onto the rack where he stops because he sees a young woman. Uh, So this is in Money Penny's office, and sees the young woman. He he compliments her because, of course, he does. And he then spots that Money Penny is in the corner, and Bond is like, oh, and she's. I didn't write too much of this dialogue down. It's the whole bit is that Money Penny has hired a new assistant to help her out, who's a lot younger than her, and they kind of make some jabs at Money Penny being a bit older, like. Uh, she's implying, like, oh, you're only talking to her because she's as a attractive as charming as I used to be. And Bond says, "No, no, no, of course not. You're still lovely." And he has a big <laughs> thing of roses, and he gives one to Money Penny, and then gives the rest to to the assistant. i <laughs>
1: uh, um, I gotta say, yeah, this this scene might have one of my favorite lines of the whole film. Though it's such a nothing scene, as you're right, it's just it's just a bit of a gag about how. Mo- Money Penny's getting older, and now there's a younger one to take her place. But it's just when he he's Bond spots the uh, Penelope Smallbone. Her name is um, when he spots what? her one more time. What Pen- Penelope Smallbone? I think is her name.
0: Okay, all right.
1: Unless I just misheard that, but. Um, it's when he spots her and then, and then uh, Penny says, oh, I'm over here, James. And it's just, I don't know what it is about the way Roger Moore said this line, but when he goes, oh, but
0: of course you are. It's just that he really,
1: <laughs> he's like, it's such a, he just goes all in with that. It's proper hammy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like this one. Uh, it's, it's very brief, but I, I like that they're kind of playing off this angle. It's something a bit different. And I think actually they they play off each other quite well. Uh, yeah. Bond and Penny. Yeah,
1: I mean, and you have mentioned in, in previous ones how you know, the actress playing Money Penny is getting a bit older, uh, just like Roger Moore is. But yeah, it's it's like well, they, I think they clearly noticed this as well now, so maybe sort of paving the way for a new actress to play Money Penny there.
0: Well, we're about twenty years since the first film, so yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah, but I do generally like this idea of this acknowledgement of characters getting older. I think that's that's kind of I liked in the last film. There's not so much of it in this one. And it's quite interesting, actually, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, but I was surprised at how not bad Roger Moore looked in this film. Oh, really? I was really? really expecting him to just look awful, but I actually think he looks pretty good.
1: Oh, I think he looks pretty bad. Oh, do
0: you? Oh, no.
1: And I, I think part of that is because, as you say, they they, they didn't really have that element of ageing apart from money in this bit. Whereas they kind of, I felt like they did in Fiora's Only to an extent when they had BB and stuff and they were kind of pointing out the age difference there. And it just seems like they've gone backwards now and, and Bond is just, you know, he can get anyone and there's there's nothing there in terms of age. He's just the same as he's ever been.
0: Maybe. Yeah, there is one specific character where well, that definitely seems to be the case. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But I was expecting to notice it a little bit more. Uh, because Moonraker was always like, oh, looking a bit old, and for Your Eyes Only obviously is a little bit older still. But there was more acknowledgement, and it felt like a natural progression from uh, from from Your Eyes Only. But you are right; they don't really acknowledge it, and they don't kind of continue on that route too much. But I thought he looked I'm going to give him some credit. I think he looks alright.
1: I mean, he gets some plastic surgery for the next film, so yeah, Ugh. he definitely looks different in the next one.
0: That's what I. That's what I was thinking. I think the fact that he just hasn't got plastic surgery yet does wonders. Yeah,
1: I think he gets rid of his um, his mole, which is a bit sad. Hmm. Anyway, so, so yes, yeah, so
0: <laughs> R.I.P. to the mole. But uh, so Bond uh, then leaves, goes through the doors to goes into M's office, and we see the minister is there, uh, Frederick Grey. We see a man called I put Jim Fanny, but <laughs> is that his last name?
1: i think it's fanning but let's call him jim fanny
0: why not (laughs) (laughs) it's called octopussy anything's possible exactly Uh, and also we see someone behind the desk who is i believe meant to be m they don't really address it but they've recast m and now this is just somebody else playing m who i believe appeared in a previous film just to make things even more confusing for everyone for some reason uh, yeah he was yeah, in the spy who loved me M. wasn't he was it spy who loved me yeah i think so it was yeah, something during it? the roger Moore era. yeah and i don't i don't think he necessarily does a bad job but i don't like that they don't address it at all like there's no acknowledgement that this is someone different there's nothing like that like how at the moment they're kind of building up how money penny is getting a bit older and they have somebody else new and things like that like it's kind of almost like this progression So when she does get recast or that changes out. There's some sort of acknowledgement there. This one is just like, yeah, that's M and you're meant to just believe it's M and there's just nothing that happens to make you... Like, I was confused if it was M or not, to be honest, initially. But I was like, well, he's in the chair, but Bill Tanner was also in the chair in the last film. So I found it a bit confusing. I would have liked something to kind of be a little bit self reference, you know, even if it breaks the fourth wall a little... Maybe if M looked at the camera and says, this never would have happened to the other fellow, <laughs> that would have cleared things right off for me.
1: It would have been nice to have something like that. And they don't do shy away from fourth wall stuff in this film. So, you know, what you ask for is not that far-fetched.
0: No, not in this film. Yeah, But again, I don't think he's bad, but I just don't... He's no Bernard Lee, and I think they should, could have been a bit smarter with this rather than just being like, no, that's M. What are you talking about? Yeah, of course it's M.
1: Yeah, especially because in the last one they said that he was on leave as a bit of an explanation. So it would have been, I don't know, they could have had maybe, uh, maybe he was redecorating the office <laughs> <It's> just, as, <laughs> as Bond walks in and he's like, oh, change these curtains. There you go. That's New M now.
0: Yeah. I mean, they probably didn't want to kind of go into this idea of like recasting people means it's a different character because they've made things so confusing. But it would have made more sense to me because I think they did this with Judy Dench that it's like, M is just a job and somebody else is now doing that job. I would have liked that, but they don't treat it like that at all. Yeah. So, yeah, so M, M in quotation marks, uh, Frederick Gray and Jim Fanning is there uh, and M shows Bond the Frappuccino egg the one that the clown had before. Bond gives a little bit of an explanation of what it is, his usual stick, where he's saying it's priceless, it was owned by the royal family of Russia or something, and he then opens it up, and there's a little model inside of, I think, a carriage or something? Yeah. And M tells him, oh, it's a fake. Um, But we found out that the real thing is being orchard very soon. So Jim is a... Jim's there because he's an expert in antiques... So he is saying that we're seeing quite a lot of these eggs coming from different sources. Like, I think he says there's like four different eggs have been sold this year, which is a lot higher than they normally do. So something is up with that. Like something's not quite right here. So M says to Bond to go to this auction where they're auctioning a real version of the egg. And Jim is going to be there so they can spot, basically try and find out who's selling this thing, see if everything is actually legit. And then we get some more kind of confusing stuff here. So Jim leaves. Goodbye, Jim. And the ministry is trying to figure out what could be going on. I think he throws out saying like, maybe the Russians are trying to raise our currency because these eggs go for just a ridiculous amount of money. They're extremely expensive. So maybe they're trying to mess with the currency. And M has this file for this whole operation, which was Operation Trove. And we find out that the clown from before is 009. Mm. So 009 was investigating this, got the egg, uh, but he was killed. So Bond is replacing 009 for this mission to investigate this, joining Jim at this auction. And they're like, we don't really have many leads, of which Bond says, we do have a lead, uh, the property property of a lady, which is written down in the Operation Trove mission file. And this is not as confusing as the film gets, but it no. definitely establishes the theme of this film, which is we don't care if you get this. <laughs> <laughs> we are just going to say a lot of things, and you're just going to have to go with it. And I, I definitely felt that with this scene. It's, you know, it's good filmmaking because they're setting up that they don't care about the the person watching, and they're just going to throw a load of stuff at you and just hope you carry on. And if you don't, that's fine. We're going to keep going anyway.
1: Yeah yeah this film's thing is is decoys and fakes and duplicates there's there's definitely a running theme of of me trying to as I was watching this try and work out okay so that's the real and that's a fake and then okay they've switched that there and that's now in that one and yeah it's it's as you say it's they i I'm sure they didn't really expect an audience to follow along too closely you know you just go there and watch all the stunts and everything but they really don't make it easy for themselves when they're trying to explain the plot for this film my god um one thing I did note in this little end briefing scene, though, is he, as he gives Bond the file when he says, "Yeah, this is Operation Trove." Was this a little thing they were doing where every film had a different operation name? Because last one it was Undertow, mm. and it's yeah, it seems like they're now making a conscious effort to give everyone, you know, this is Operation X, Y, or Z. I don't know why or when they stopped doing that.
0: I can't remember because the man with the golden gun didn't have. Or maybe it did actually, because of the energy crisis. Yeah, possibly. I want to say "Live and Let Die" didn't. Hmm. I just think it's kind of cool, actually. Did. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and then obviously "Property of a Lady" is a a little reference to one of the short stories, I think, of Ian Fleming's. Yeah, um, yeah, I
0: think. Yeah, I think I was reading that. It's very direct because at this point in the front... it's not something we're talking about too much because it's not. You know, we're just taking these films for what they are, but at this point. Elements of the books are coming in, but it's like it doesn't matter, and I think it's been like that for about five films. So a lot of these films are now just kind of references to the book, and they just take one of the names and just slap it on the film. Uh, but they have not followed the books in a very long time. Maybe Live and Let Die or The Man with the Golden Gun. I think those two might have been the last ones, but since like The Spy Who Loved Me, these have just been like completely their own thing with very specific elements taken from the books and names taken from the books, but everything else just completely original and different.
1: One way to, to notice that, because I read this and I thought, oh, that's quite interesting, is if the film in the credits, if the film is Ian Fleming's The Spy Who Loved Me, that means they're taking... More from the actual book. If it says Ian Fleming's James Bond in Octopussy, that means they're just using the character and they've, they've basically rewritten the story for the film. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's where they put Ian Fleming in in that where they put it on Bond or where they put it on the title is how you can tell.
0: Because he had died at this point, hadn't he? Like for quite a while, I want to yeah, say.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the M briefing scene, we move over to Moscow. I would assume, as we are in this very big Russian-looking USSR kind of situation room, this big table of uh, generals and and very high-ranking people. I think one of them is meant to be the uh, president. Uh, I don't know who it would have been at that time in Russia, but I'm pretty sure it looks like him, Um, and they're all there discussing uh, some plans. Gogol's there, good old Gogol's back. Of course. Huh? Of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a fan favourite.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the... the
1: Is it President? Is that what they were
0: called? I can't imagine it was. Premier. It, not like Premier. Yeah, it would be something like that. Maybe Pre- it's just yeah. Comrade. I don't know. But it, yeah, I can't imagine it's President.
1: <laughs> Mr. President. No, what? Yeah, Premier, whoever the head guy is, was saying about that. Gogol's just had a report and a um, very detailed report. Basically outlining um, that uh, the USSR wants to follow the NATO disarmament plans. Basically, that they're gonna they're gonna agree to them, um, and yeah, that's that's that was Gogol's opinion of what to do uh, because all of their weapons they they want as a defensive mechanism, not as a, a, an offensive one. Except there is one one other guy on this very big table who does not agree with this, and it's uh, General Orlov who kind of interrupts and and gives his opinion of the situation, stands up and uh, rotates this whole table around to reveal this massive screen on the wall. There's like Lenin on the other side, like a big picture of Lenin on the wall on the other side. Um, and he's got a map up of, of Europe and he's basically explaining how uh, Russian power in terms of arms is, is, you know, they have the potential to invade. They have tanks all aligned up against... East Germany and they have Czechoslovakia and they got more tanks in Russia and they could, if they wanted to, um advance, advance the uh, the Iron Curtain, I suppose. Um and this guy, this General Orlov guy, is pretty crazy. I mean, from the get-go, this actor no. <laughs> From the get-go, this actor, clearly his notes were just, you know, really, really amp this up. You are some maniacal, crazy Russian who wants to take over the world, sort of deal. So yeah, don't don't worry about uh, being a bit too much on the screen because just everything the way he acts, his eyes bulging, his veins on his forehead, his his accent and his voice—it's just so kind of cartoonish as is outlining his plan and how yeah he thinks Russia should should carry on um, expanding, and he's basically told to sit down and shut up. Uh, <laughs> they don't they don't agree with that that plan, um, so he goes to sit back down. And I think a lady comes over some uh, lady that was a kind of receptionist or secretary uh, who had a phone call and comes up to all and, and tells him that someone's waiting for him and so all says he'll go and go and speak to him in a moment but yeah it this is kind of the introduction to one of the villains of this film and he definitely is a memorable one maybe not for the right reasons though <laughs> i don't know what do you think
0: well i guess he is memorable but he's just barely in this film like this is one of, like, a few... Se- like, he does a lot of stuff in the background, I guess, but it's just such a small part. But I really like this idea, though. I think this is a really solid idea for a Bond film, and the idea of Russia is trying to get peace, but there's still a general within their ranks who is going to go against that, to instigate war and build things up as a extension of, like, these Cold War storylines we've seen before and what we had for, for Your Eyes Only. I really like the idea... It just gets completely diluted, and the with the rest of the film and all the other plots and all the other villains, like it's way too complicated. But I think this on itself, solid idea. It's just guess what? In a few scenes' time, Bond is going to go to India, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay? Which and then you spend a lot of time in India, so it's like this stuff just gets so lost. And even the next scene that I guess I'll explain in a little bit is him just looking at like jewelry or something. It's like it's just. It's too messy, but I think this idea is a good one, and is probably why they redid it uh, for Goldeneye about ten years later.
1: Yeah, yeah, I suppose they don't. They are running out of time. I, mean, I suppose this was only 1983; there was still a decade to go. But yeah, using up, they got to use up all the, the Russian storylines whilst it's still there. Um, you're right, though. Most of the scenes he's in is it's very plot, plot focused in terms of just the. The details, he doesn't really do much going forward, which is, a, I don't know, maybe to some people, it's a shame. I don't really like this character and I don't really like how how cartoonish this guy is. Um, but then, yeah, that other people might.
0: Well, I think he gets away with it in this film, and it's kind of a catch 22 of awfulness, unfortunately, where he is allowed to be so cartoony because he's just not the main villain. Like, if this was your main guy then I probably would be saying he needs to tone it down a bit. But because there's like three different people and he's one of them, like, I quite like the different energy that he brings. Mm. But yeah, if he was the main person, I would probably be like, okay, they needed to find a better balance here. But as like the third person in a very messy plot with other villains, I think it works. But it works for the wrong reasons, because they shouldn't have so many villains and stuff going on anyway. Like, they should have probably just said, he's the main guy and just tone him down a bit and have it be that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is jumping way later in the film, but the way that this character ends, I thought was quite, a. Uh, don't know, I was I was expecting it to be a bit more in keeping with the the, the craziness of this character. So, and I think that is a, a problem with, as you say, they just have too many things to tie up. So
0: yeah, like to to give him the ending of the way this character uh, acts is I think the film Dr. Strangelove when the guy's riding the bomb with the hat. <laughs> like this guy could have pulled that off
1: he really could yeah
0: that's that's his dream he dreams that scene (laughs) uh so yeah so after all is given a message by the the woman in the meeting we cut to the kremlin art respiratory probably saying that wrong because i probably spelt it wrong um we get some more text on screen explaining where it is so one thing you can say about this film is that at least they mostly put text on screen for some of the locations they go to so yes (laughs) thanks guys much appreciated yeah, and General Love enters inside. It's this kind of like a cellar, almost. I don't think it's actually a cellar, but it looks very underground, and we see a large amount of jewellery and art and pieces everywhere, and we... Hold on, I've... did I meant to type twins? Are there twins in this scene? I think one of them is. Yeah, it's a bit confusing, because... So, the twins is what they've called them. Apparently, I don't checking it i don't think they actually do have names like in the credits they call twin one and twin two <laughs> <laughs> so they did i think they have names but in the credits they don't um so yeah so one of the twins is is in there and there's a man who's the russian expert of jewelry basically and they explain how one of the pieces is missing and it's the egg from before uh, so the egg so that guy is there the twin is there i think to connect you back to the initial scene where the twin tries to kill 009 but 009 actually does get away um so they're like okay that's fine um, but then the general saying how we're about to get the real egg bag anyway so it's not a problem so the one that 009 stole was a fake but the uh, the auction is actually going to be the real egg so he says, yes, we've lost the fake egg, but we're going to get the real egg back anyway. Does that sound correct?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is where, yeah, they, they have the fake, well, they lost the fake, but they can get the real one back at the auction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we then cut to the auction, which do you know where this takes place?
1: Oh, it said Sotheby's. Is that how you say that? Sotheby's on the Do you know where side? that is? <laughs> I stream somewhere in London. Yeah. Okay,
0: I, I assumed London as well. It wasn't too clear.
1: I think I'm saying that wrong. I think it's Sotheby's you say it. <laughs> there you go.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know where that is. I've been to London quite a few times. Couldn't tell you where that is. Yeah, no clue. It's a rich part of London, I guess. Uh, mm. So we then cut to the auction, and it straight away has the Fabergé egg and it's being shown saying, hang out, the bidding is going to start on the egg. We see Bond with Jim I did really like that they have a character just called Jim. It makes the note-taking a lot easier. None yeah, no of these... these complicated names, none of these foreign names that I don't under, like, know how to spell at all. Just <laughs> no, Jim. Cri- no Chrissies this time. Yeah, no Chrissies. <laughs> it's just Jim, everyone. Jim, it's all Jim of... And, yeah. Very nice names here. Thank you, guys. Jim and
1: Jim together, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. You're right, isn't it? Yeah. It's James and Jim. James and Jim. The flower pot men. Yeah, uh, so Bond is there with Jim, and Jim explains to Bond how the frappuccine egg is probably going to get around 250000 to £300,000. Pounds. Uh, and then Jim also says you didn't need to calm Bond, uh, which I think is Bond doing some more cheeky, chappy stuff, and Jim actually being a little bit annoyed by Bond, but it's, uh, it's only a very small throwaway line. Mm-hmm. So the bidding then starts at £150,000, pounds and Bond sees a a young blonde woman enter the room, so his eyes quickly focuses on that, and we see Bond watching this woman enter, and she approaches a man who's sitting down, and sits down next to that man. Um, So the bidding is is going on, so everyone's bidding backwards-forward. There's an older gentleman who wants to take a look at the egg, so they bring it over on this cushion, and he takes a quick look, inspects it, decides he's not going to bid, and the man that we saw next to the woman, the blonde woman who sat down, starts bidding. And this man bids four hundred thousand pounds, so well over what it was expected to go over. So we then hear a bid of four hundred twenty thousand pounds. With I think Jim is like, "Oh, that's crazy!" And then looks over. The camera pans from Jim to James to show that Bond had actually uh, done that bid. What and a mad lad! He's mad. <laughs> and Jim's like, have you gone mad? And James says, well, let's see how badly he wants it. So Bond so quite funnily decides to inspect the egg himself. There is a reason for this, but uh, yeah, he brings the guy over to take a look at the egg uh, because the, the other guy who's bidding has gone over. So before Bond does his next bid, he goes over and takes a look at the egg, inspects it a bit, brings it close to him, puts it back down. Then he bids 475 and the man goes to half a million. There's a lot of commotion going on while all this is happening. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is madness. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of uh, rich people uh, murmur going on. Uh, so it's meant to be a bit of a crazy scene, or as crazy as an auction scene can get. And we see poor Jim being all stressed out. And eventually Bond says, no, that's it. We're all fine. And so the, the mysterious man wins uh, for half a million pounds. And... Jim says, Well, what what were you playing at? And Bond said, Well, it looked like he had to buy. So now that we know that this guy absolutely had to buy this egg because he went for like double the price, uh now I can I can find out why. So that was the on auction scene for everyone. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. I actually did quite like this
1: scene. Maybe it's just because <laughs> I used to watch a lot of bargain hunt. But <laughs> <laughs> you Used to. Oh yeah, I don't watch it anymore. No, no. Definitely not. Um, no, uh, I I just quite like Bond in scenes that just aren't necessarily, you know, the most spy things. And it's just it's Bond doing spy work, but but in an auction house. You know, it's just a change of scenery, a change of of situation, um, amping up the price for for uh, Kamal Khan. Because I think I think Jim does recognize the man. He does say, "Oh, that's that's Kamal Khan." He's usually a seller, not a buyer. oh um, okay. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I quite like this little bit actually, and and Bond teasing a little bit this gym guy, and you know, as you say, probably probably being a bit cheeky and annoying him at times, and um, but ultimately getting what he needs to get done done.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of fun. Yeah, I like it. It it does tie into the egg stuff though, which overall is not a bit of fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. So we then cut to Bond leaving this auction hall and. We see the woman from before enter the car with with Khan, the guy who won. It's very like weird looking limo. It's like a Mercedes, I think, but it's like a blue long limo. Like it didn't look like a proper limo. It just looked like a stretched out car.
1: Yeah. I don't well, I didn't actually notice too much about the limo, to be honest. Oh, fair enough. I mean, most people <laughs> probably don't.
0: But I was looking at that limo. I was like, is that just what limos looked like in the 80s? It's not it's not Ew. the very classic <laughs> limo, but yeah. But it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> so Bond sees them drive off and Bond signals to a man in a taxi nearby to follow them. So the man is obviously working with Bond. So Bond says, hey, follow that car. Well, he doesn't say that, but he he gives them the signal. And then we cut back to M's office where M is a bit mad, saying, you had no business bidding on that egg. That that was reckless. You shouldn't be doing that. Blah, 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 blah. And we see that well, Bond reveals that he has switched the egg with a fake egg. So the fake egg that 009 had before that Bond was looking at, he had apparently kept that and apparently brought that to the auction hall, and apparently when he was inspecting the, that egg there, he swapped it out. And yeah, so the the idea of this, I think, is that they want to try and catch out what's going on here. They don't know what's going on. So by Bond giving them a fake egg it even means, or I think he explains this, where it either means that he notices it's a fake, which will rattle him up and means that Bond can go and investigate and things like that, or he doesn't notice it's a fake, which I think is what Bond wants, because if he doesn't notice it's a fake, then that means he is in on this fake egg scam uh, because he was kind of expecting it to be a fake, even though it was explained earlier that is actually a real egg <laughs> All makes sense. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this bloody egg, I swear. Um, it,
0: it's supposed to be like uh I quite like it, the idea of Bond switching out this egg, but it's supposed to be a win-win situation for them. But they have to do so much explaining to make it make sense for the characters so Bet Bond can explain it to M that it's a win-win, even though we know it's real, or at least the general thinks it's real, because we saw that before. Uh, it probably wasn't worth it in the end.
1: Yeah, the most I got from this scene is, yeah, Bond wants almost wants them to realise it's fake as a way to, I think you might say, like smoke them out is the phrase he uses. And I guess, yeah, what you're saying, I like rattle them and hopefully make a bit more attention surrounding it to create a lead he can follow or something along those lines anyway.
0: It's something like that. Again, I quite like this small idea, but it's just so complicated and they have to explain it in such a short time. Because this then ends with, oh, the the person that was following the limo saw them get on a plane and somehow knew they were going to India or something. Um, so, but to be fair, they already know who it was. Like Jim identified it was Khan, so it makes sense that Bond would go to India because this guy's flying to India. Yeah. And we see that Bond has a ticket because I think Em's like, oh, well, you better go to India there. And he's like, already got the ticket. I've got to be there in 55 minutes. So Bond leaves and... We get M smiling to himself very briefly, which I think is them probably trying to correct what happened in the last film where there was just no balance. I don't think this actor really pulls it off and it still feels a bit clumsy to me, but they are trying to bring it back that M actually does like Bond, even if he does a uh, tell him off sometimes when he has to. This
1: M does seem... Uh, I mean, Bernard Lee, the, the first M, he was pretty grumpy, but as you say, we've had plenty of scenes of him with a little twinkle in his eye and he's got Bond's back uh this M it, I think he he does end up being a, a lot grumpier I'm just thinking especially with uh Licence to Kill so yeah I I don't love this M but he's he's all right I suppose
0: well that's sad news to me I didn't realize we get the same M for that many films <laughs> oh yeah he's <laughs> oh,
1: no. M for a, yeah I think up until yeah Goldeneye yeah
0: Okay, because I don't hate him, I just think it's it's just a fake. It's just a fake. It's like the egg; they've swapped <laughs> in a fake M, and I'm noticing, and I'm mad about it. Hashtag not my M, not my M. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, because I, it's, it's yeah, it's just such an imitation. I said how I didn't mind him already a couple of times, but the more I think about it, the more I get a little bit mad, and I think that's mostly because you just told me I'm going to have to put up with this for a few more films. So that's sorry. That's made me sad.
1: Sorry about that.
0: Uh, okay, yeah, so Khan has gone to India.
1: So yeah, Bond's heading there to Delhi, specifically. And so over to How India How do you know come. it's
0: Delhi? It's so subtle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Bond's in Delhi, and uh, he was told to meet someone from Station I, Sad Sadradin by M, I think was his name, or something along those lines.
0: It's a good effort. I, I wouldn't even have tried. <laughs> <Loves that>
1: name? <laughs> so he, he gets off. Was he on a boat? I can't remember how he even gets onto this. I think he might have been on a boat. Uh, he gets off and uh, immediately spots this uh, snake charmer, who just so happens to be uh, playing the Bond theme on the uh, whatever instrument that is, the, like the Indian flute thing. Um, which yeah, that's like the little fourth wall thing that they they have in this one, um, and. I, I assume that there was an element of like a code name or a code word in this when he was asking about what currency he uses, uh, because how would Bond know that that was the guy? He needed? well that that is that's not Sadredin, but it's still someone who works for uh, the government. So I'm assuming there was something there. I don't know. Maybe I missed something.
0: No, um, yeah, it's we don't get explained what it is, but they do that very robotic man bond says something man says something back and then afterwards they're like hey (laughs) like they do do that
1: yeah Uh, and this guy's name is vj who uh, i like how he introduces himself as a special expediter for universal exports i do like how they they keep the universal exports cover going in this film um and says that Sadriddin is is up in a taxi nearby so uh, they go and they go and find him and I kind of don't understand why they didn't just have that character Vijay be sadhurdim because his other guy is like barely in this film. It's just a case of, as we've mentioned so many times, Bond has to meet this person to then meet this person to go find this person sort of deal. It's all happening all over again. Um, yeah,
0: I'm trying to think because he's definitely there, but when the other guy's there, it's when Vijay's there as well.
1: Yeah, there's just no reason for two, the both both characters to be on screen. Strange.
0: I, I do want to quickly say though the reason why i said about that deli comment is that when they start we get some big old shots of the taj mahal like just a load of shots being like look at it <laughs> look at it <laughs> right, i get
1: the helicopter goes behind it doesn't it yeah
0: yeah and i'm assuming bonds in the helicopter but this all confused me because the helicopter like lands on the river so i think that's but it doesn't matter but yeah we get a lot of aerial shots here they're not as nice as the shots we've had in previous films You know, we've talked a lot about how they set the scene and having these nice big wide shots. And I mean, I guess they kind of do that, but it's just, it just looks like generic footage of a very famous landmark. So yeah, I guess I know why they did it, but it's a bit bland by Bond standards.
1: I think that's kind of my opinion of this whole uh, use of India in this film. It's definitely not to the same level of quality that I think other Bond films have done when they visit a country. And they really try to show it off. I mean, we'll, we'll see soon enough. But it just, it's just—it's just a lot of stereotypes and just very comedic things back to back. And I don't really feel like we got a true—I don't know. It didn't. Unlike, for example, um, From Russia of Love, which you know, Istanbul. I think they did quite a nice job there. And there's, there's probably others that I'm not remembering right now off the top of my head. But this one just feels a little bit weak in comparison. Hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, uh, VJ takes Bond to Sadradin and they drive up to show off where Kamal's rooftop, well, uh, mountaintop, I suppose it is, palace is, the Monsoon Palace. Uh, that's where he lives and it's heavily guarded, but yeah, he usually plays backgammon at the hotel hotel club that Bond's staying at. So Bond can have a chance to talk to him there face-to-face uh, because he's automatically a member. I don't know, it's... It, it, The the things this film chooses to make dialogue for is really, and now I'm talking about it, it's just really strange how they have to, they put in this little line about how Bond is going to be allowed to be in this club. Like, why? Why was that necessary to say, because you're staying at the hotel, you can visit this club? Is that just me overthinking
0: it? (laughs) No, you're right. We've come a long way since the man with the golden gun where he just gets into the hotel for some reason. Like, we assume James Bond is going to get into the (laughs) casino. Yeah. Like, we assume he's not going to go in. It's like, sorry, sir. And he just leaves. (laughs) It's like, that's fine, guys. You're not on the list. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing Bond. I'm not seeing it. VJ, uh, come on in. I'm seeing a VJ, <laughs> but not not seeing a Bond.
1: Um, so yeah, after that, it's a very very short scene there with sadradin Bond is at the hotel. Um, gets shown his room by uh, this uh, this lady, this attendant, and he. I think he might do a quick check for bugs and stuff. He might have checked the phone or something along those lines, and looks outside the window and spots. The woman from the hotel, not the hotel, sorry, from the auction room, uh, the one who sits down next to Khan. I think she's coming out of a car or walking along or something along those lines. Um, And after that, I think we're cutting straight to Bond in the White Tux. The White Tux makes a reappearance as he's going down into the club of the the hotel to go find Kamal Khan, playing backgammon. Uh, There's one being played already, Khan and and Major I think is just is referred to some a major guy uh is in the middle of a, a game and it's, the major character is losing quite a lot and he, he's trying to beat Khan who's apparently very good at backgammon and betting loads of money and keeps doubling uh the bets all the time and bonds watching I think VJ might is VJ there someone might be there with him
0: Yeah I, I think, think they're so. both like both those guys are are there
1: Yeah because they're oh, right, there he...
0: in, like, fancy suits as well.
1: Yeah, because he gives them the money later. Yeah, so they're watching um, Khan play, and Bond does spot something funny going on with the dice uh, that Khan does with his hands down below. Um, because, yeah, every time that the this major keeps betting and... I don't know the rules to backgammon, but getting a double six is good, apparently. Neither so... do
0: I, because I thought backgammon was about the board, but they kind of strip this down to like they do in other Bond films, where it's just like, I'm going to roll some dice, and if it's high, then I win. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure backgammon has a lot more rules than that, but apparently you know, <laughs> roll the dice, get high, get rich, that's it. They, <laughs> I think they simplify it a bit.
1: Yeah, which is good because I, I don't know backgammon at all. But yeah, doubles are good and uh, Khan keeps rolling doubles and and um, basically wipes out this major in terms of money. So Bond, Bond steps in and says if he, if he can take his place in terms of the money being bet and everything, uh, which Khan agrees to. And um, as uh, security for having the money, Bond reveals the egg, the real egg. And puts it down on the table and kind of look looks for Khan's reaction and because um, I, I guess at this point, well, I don't know actually. Khan would have known it's a that his is a
0: fake. I don't know. I mean, I think so, but yeah, I think so. It, I think just the
1: clear. sight of the same egg is probably enough to realise like, oh something funny is going on here. But yeah, Bond's there, sort of being a bit smug and, and really uh, trying to get under khan's skin um and just as bond is about to roll the dice he asks he says something and and says oh you know can i use your dice to that effect and and takes khan's dice which are obviously uh loaded dice to to roll double sixes and then bond rolls a double six himself and wins and wins a ton of money uh so khan writes a check uh, and bond's like oh actually i prefer cash (laughs) and and uh, one of Khan's very angry, evil looking henchmen is there, who we see throughout the film. I had no clue what his name is, but just looking in front of me, his name was Gobinda. Um, okay. Crushes the dice, he's so angry, and uh, yeah, crushes it into dust in front of Bond as a signal of his strength. And yeah, there's a really good line. Did I write it down? There's a really good line Khan says when Bond wins. It's like such a good villain line, and I completely forgot it Yeah,
0: it's something like, oh, um, spend your money quickly, Mr. Bond. It's something like that, like implying that you better spend this quick because you're not going to have a lot of time with this money.
1: Yeah, yeah. This whole scene, uh, I do like this little scene, mainly because I I do like the actor that plays Khan, who does end up being one of the major villains, (laughs) one of the other ones in this film. He's very... He's a very charismatic character. He has quite a good on-screen presence. He's quite slimy, he's quite squirmy, but also at the same time has this really great uh, air about him. Um, and yeah, just little bits in this. I like how Bond doesn't even look when he rolls a dice because he knows it's going to be a double six and just how smarmy he's being with it all. Um, they made backgammon quite interesting. As you say, a lot by just simplifying the rules, but uh, you know, it makes a change compared to the usual shemin de defer that we usually see.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like this setup. You should, like This is a good setup, like Bond calling out on the villains, cheating and using that against them. But it's a little bit lame that all he does is like, I'll just use your dice. Oh, I've won, cool. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, it's not the most clever Bond has been. And it's odd that Khan just goes with it. I didn't quite get that. I, I get that Khan can't just freak out and say, oh no, I'm cheating, don't use my dice. <laughs> uh, but, but I don't quite get that why he does that it's it felt a little bit weird to me but it's it's still pretty solid um it did get me thinking though about bond in this suit because it is the white suit again and it does look great i wonder if with the suits they were trying to do what they were doing with the music where they were trying to like bring out all the classic stuff and shove it in your face to be like yeah it's bond in his classic white suit because we get the classic black suit in a later scene as well
1: oh yeah when he goes to dinner yeah 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 probably i mean one of these things uh one of the the elements that they definitely do in this film mainly because i read it when i was doing a bit of background research on this film is that they, they definitely try and use the bond theme quite a lot in this film again mm. as as a as a sign of you know never never say never going, can't use it so we're going to use it a lot just to really cement that this is the official bond don't go watch the other one
0: Now they just see there uh, yeah. Yeah. Come and watch Octopussy. That's where it's at. Uh,
1: yeah. Come listen to All Time High. Hmm. <laughs>
0: God. Uh, but also, very briefly, Bond does try and speak to the woman who I don't know if we've heard her name yet. No, we point. haven't. We don't hear her name for so long. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she does approach him and go. she goes, or oh, Bond goes to buy her a drink and she says no and, and goes back to Khan. So that, that happens very briefly here as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Khan and his henchmen have gone off, and Bond gets his money uh, that was cashed um, by the club, and gives some to uh, VJ, uh, gives some to the other guy—I've already forgot his name—and keeps some in, in his uh, jacket, kind of inside breast pocket. And they head off. Okay, I, I, I'm not quite sure what the next plan was going to be for Bond, but you know he's clearly made himself known to Khan, so that was job done, and and they head out. Um, to to go drive back in one of the little taxi things.
0: Um, he said something not great here, and I wanna. I hope I yeah. misheard it because we get this. You know, they they very deliberately show Bond putting all this cash in his jacket and also handing it out, and he gives it to one of the guys and says, "Oh, that'll keep you in the curry for a few weeks." I was like, "What?"
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: Did I, I hear that. That's, no, that that's that not is, great.
1: That's the exact line. Yeah, this will this will keep you encouraged. And I thought when I first heard it, I thought, okay, okay, you can take that on like on the nose. But maybe you know, there's the phrase you, you can curry favour. So I, I googled what he said, thinking maybe it's just a phrase. And even then, it wouldn't have been a great thing to use. But all the results were people talking about this film. So yeah, clearly <laughs> oh. just uh, one of, one of those unfortunate um, things of the Bond films of its time.
0: Well, I say keep you in the uh, keep you in curry all the time. So it's really interesting to see where it came <laughs> from. <laughs> you do
1: say that quite a lot, off you know,
0: when we're not recording. Yeah, I do wonder why. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird, but I, I, I didn't think it was from this film. But it's such a popular phrase, <laughs> so I'm, it's nice to see the origins. I'm learning a lot. Oh yeah. So ah. also, I do want to quickly say the evil man, uh, the henchman for the film, as you say, Gob mm. Uh like, also in this one, they do a lot of zoom-ins on his face. Yeah. He has a very evil-looking face, no offense to the man, but it's all very line and pointy, and he's like, grrr, crushing these dice in his hand. And something they only do for this character is do these, like, sudden zoom-ins on his face. And we get the first one here, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a little... I don't really dislike it, but it's something worth noting about this character. Part of his personality is the fact that they zoom in on him all the time whenever he shows up.
1: Yeah, he stares a lot. And then they like to focus on his eyes.
0: Not in the same way as
1: uh, Melina from the previous film. This time it's, it's, he's scary. Look at his eyes and how angry he is.
0: Yeah. So this ends with Bond in, what would you call those things, the taxis? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Because yeah, it's, it's an, it's like a free wheel taxi where it's someone at the front and you can kind of sit at the back, but it's like open they? Like they don't have proper doors or anything. You are just kind of sitting down on these seats that are pointing facing backwards and the street is kind of filled with them. So Bond is on the back of them kind of being very casual, laying back, arm on the side, feeling pretty good about himself. And we see, well, BJ is driving the, this little taxi with Bond there and we see the evil man. who I'm going to call him the evil man throughout this. Oh, Okay. Uh so he's loading what I saw thought was a shotgun. I think later we see that it's it's not quite a shotgun. Um I think it's a more cartoonish type of gun.
1: To it's like honest. a like, blunderbuss or something.
0: Yeah, it's like a blunderbuss, like a very like uh, looney tune sort of gun in the end. But uh he's loading it as he watches Bond leave and they end up following Bond and B J through the street and B be- not B J sorry, V J. Apologies, V J.
1: <laughs> Definitely not BJ. <laughs>
0: it's a very different film Um, but yeah VJ notices that they're being followed and it's like ah we have company and he drives really fast and then puts these on the back wheels for a little bit for some reason and as he's being chased he cuts through an alley goes through this big long alley gets to the end and they catch up with them and there's like a load of I guess ninjas? I guess Indian ninjas? It's it's not super clear, because I think one of them has like this big star that I was like, all their weapons and the way they are dressed, I was like, are these ninjas? But then I was like, do India have ninjas? But I was like, is there any reason they couldn't have ninjas? Yeah, I
1: guess whatever the equivalent term is for that, yeah.
0: Yeah, so all these guys are there, and they pull up alongside and start fighting Vijay and Bond, and Vijay is, um... He has a tennis racket and is fighting them off using the tennis rackets, which I read this up afterwards and it's because this character is like a reference to someone that uh, the the producer knew. So that's why it's like that. I don't think they really explain it. I think they did say like, oh, he mentioned earlier that he plays tennis, but why he would have a tennis racket?
1: Well, it's because the, it's the actual actor himself is a famous tennis player.
0: Oh, is he? Okay.
1: Yeah, um, I guess he was famous in the '80s or something. But it's yeah, that's that's why they have these really uh, ham-fisted tennis references.
0: Yeah, it doesn't quite land anymore in 2023. No. So he's fighting them off, and Bond is fighting them off as well. And we get some very not great shots of the crowd, where there's like a crowd of people, and they all look to the left at the same time and then it cuts to them fighting again and they all look to the right but it just doesn't sync up with anything that's happening <laughs> it's yeah. just comedic crowd looking like oh oh what's happened but it doesn't sync up to the actual chase
1: yeah it's like oh hang on tennis let's try and make it look like they're watching tennis and we're putting they even have some tennis sort of when he's with the racket like hitting them with a racket it sounds like he's hitting a ball it's just bizarre um just
0: none of it like i think even if you said like oh even if I knew it was a tennis player, it just would not land. It's so over the top.
1: Yeah, no, it's really bad.
0: So yeah, really bad. So one of these ninjas has this giant kind of... Well, it's not really a ninja star, but it is a, like a metal star. And he stabs Bond. And at this moment, the Bond theme kicks in, cause, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bond has been stabbed, but he kicks the guy off. And we see that Bond was stabbed where his money was. And he says, "Ah, oh, thank goodness for hard currency. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said a lot of the quips so far. Like, there is definitely a few quips. Usually I like to make sure we get them all in. There's definitely a few that I have skipped because I'm not sure if there were any good ones. Like, it's all... Yeah, I guess where I can see where they're coming from, but none of them... I didn't really... I can't remember any that I enjoyed from this film.
1: There was a terrible... Yeah, I have just spotted there's one I missed from earlier. It was terrible where well, he gives VJ back his flute thing and says, you may need this to play with your asp. <laughs> it's
0: just awful.
1: Awful. I'm, maybe I should not have even gone back to that. Let's just move on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll edit that out. That's fine. Okay, good. So, yeah. So Bond then throws the cash, which lands in a beggar's bowl, and the beggar's like, oh. Like, Lots of jokes in this scene. And, oh, God. <laughs> I'm just reading my notes, and it's just making me sad. Uh, VJ smashes someone with the tennis racket and it goes, like, through the racket. And then he's are like, hey, game, set, and match. Good Cause one. Because tennis?
1: Because tennis, yeah. Because
0: tennis, and... Uh, the man somehow throughout all this, the, the person who was driving the jeep that was chasing them, has a basket on his head. I couldn't tell you how that happened. I think it was just part of the commotion and they crash. So, VJ is still driving this little car and gets stuck behind a crowd of which we then see the evil man return with his gun, shoots and hits the car, but doesn't hit them. So they decide to to get off and start, or Bond decides to get off at the very least and start running through the crowd. And it's a very packed, busy street uh, in, in Delhi. He gets like a, a, f- a load of flowers put around his neck, like a lay. I'm not sure if the Indian equivalent is called a lay, um, but that's what it made me think of. And...
1: Oh, also, you you missed one really important point.
0: Oh no, I didn't, did I?
1: Did you see the double taken camel?
0: <laughs> no, I didn't.
1: Okay, I may I may have made that up actually, but <laughs> <laughs> there is a camel, and I was expecting it to do a double take.
0: Ah, oh, there was it was right there, John. Come on,
1: <laughs> so easy, especially with the neck. You could have it like really swoop
0: around. Oh, oh well, it should have at least been there during the tennis scene. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so Bond is running through this crowd and he sees uh, a man with a knife. So the evil man is coming to chase him and there's like a couple of other guys, one with a big old knife, and Bond is trying to get through to escape them. He, for some reason, runs over some hot coals. So this is like stereotype plaza basically
1: like, oh, it's ridiculous how many they squeeze into this one tiny section mad yeah
0: all these street performers are all in this area and they all like cover like the stereotypical indian street performers thing you would expect so bond runs over the hot coals and one of the man's one of the people goons show up to him they start fighting and he's fighting someone next to someone who's lying on a bed of nails And the man who's on the bed of nails gets up because of Bond fighting this guy next to him. And Bond then flips the guy into the bed of nails and the guy says, shouts at them and we get subtitles that says, get off my bed. (laughs) And yeah, Bond then finds a man who's juggling flame torches. He grabs it, starts jabbing at the man with the knife. He then throws the torch at the man with a knife who then drops his knife to catch it. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And
1: I oh quite like that actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit silly. So Bond then just punches him in the face, and that's that. And then, as someone else is showing off, so Bond pulls a sword out of somebody's throat because he's right. Someone, a street performer, doing that is right there and jabs it at a goon. That goon then falls onto the burning coals and gets burnt. Of which Bond then throws. Uh, someone is like cooking something nearby in this hot pot. He knocks that over to the burning coals to make all the fire come up and eventually bond gives the sword back to the man he stole it from and meets up with vj again and and, oh boy yeah like this was really bad this was
1: really bad this was this was two minutes of just pure stereotypes really yeah back to back to back and this is kind of what I was referring to earlier with the whole India thing. I just think there's so much of this where they just use India, but they use it so superficially uh, and so stereotypically. And it's just, I, I mean, I, I imagine, I mean, it's probably bad then, but it's just like really, it's just really bad now because it's just not interesting. And it's just, it's like, yeah, I get the point. I get what you're trying to do. Uh, yeah, Sword swallowing, uh, hot coals. And it's, it's just, it's just bad. I don't really know. <laughs>
0: Why it's meant to be a comedy scene right like the idea is that you're meant to recognise all this and laugh and with the tennis stuff as well like it's supposed to be funny I just don't think they ever really do action comedy all that well in Bond films like you might have a small moment that's kind of funny but when you have these action comedy scenes especially one that is just playing off like such blatant unoriginal stereotypes it's just like it's just a bit sad like I'm not laughing I'm not into the action none of this kind of works and I think even if you say like whether this is offensive enough, I don't know, but well, even if you took that out of it, I don't think anything that really happens for fit here is all that interesting. No. Like, none of it works on its own, even as, like, a comedy or an action bit, and it just makes this scene just seem so awful. And I will also have to just quickly say that the bed of nails is so blatantly fake. Yeah. Because you yeah. see them all bend when the guy gets thrown onto it, and I get I get that maybe they couldn't have actually thrown a man on a bed of nails, but, like, what's... what? I guess it proves how much a comedy scene this is meant to be because rather than this being something quite gruesome or anything, it's just a silly, like, man fall on nails and all the nails are bendy and the man's all mad because he's like, oh, get off my nails. It's it's just, when you have an action comedy scene that's not funny or interesting action, it's just sad.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It was just, it's not funny. There was too much in there. Way too much in there. It's going a mile a minute which actually is probably a good thing given how quickly it's over, uh, this whole chase bit, but um, just such a stone's throw from what we had before and it just makes me sad.
0: It's not over yet though, Joe.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Plenty more to come.
0: So, yeah, so Bond is now with Vijay again in their taxi and we see the evil man get back into his car as well and Bond asks Vijay for the, the money which he's all like, easy come, easy go, and but then throws it into the street shouting like rubies and a big crowd of people rushes over to it which slows down the evil man from chasing them oh so
1: <laughs> i can i can i can feel <laughs> you're like you i'm glad you described this bit not me sorry
0: well there is it's just makes me sad because like they did this joke twice. But they did the whole Bond throwing the money thing twice because I guess they just thought both versions of it were so hilarious that the beggar getting the money is hilarious and then a load of people in the streets just going mental over money is also meant to be hilarious.
1: Mm, one or the other.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. none,
1: actually. Or none. <laughs>
0: but, uh, yeah, eventually. So because the evil man has been slowed down, VJ drives through a poster on a wall. Which is then instantly replaced. So he smashes through, Then straight away we see a new version of the poster come out. And the evil man gets to the poster and just sees a brand new poster, and he's just confused. And he just walks off. Bond then says, it certainly pays to advertise. So there you go. Laughter and applause, please. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And we see VJ and Bond have entered the Indian version of Q Branch, of which Q is there and he gets a nice little moan about flying all the way over <laughs> uh, to do this. And there's there's quite a lot of back and forth here. Like, it's quite intense. Like, these are the scenes of with Bond and Q that I kind of think of most. Not this scene in particular, but the way they kind of work here, where it's lots of gadgets in the background being tested and... We see Bond being like, oh, I've misplaced my PPK. And uh, he also says, somebody has stuck a knife in my wallet, which is cut, uh, a hole for his jacket. And it's like, oh, they've missed you. <laughs> what a yeah. pity.
1: <laughs> yeah, is very grumpy from the get go here.
0: Yeah, th- this is kind of why this is quite hammed up, I guess. But this is kind of what I think of. If you want a very like to-the-point Q and Bond scene where it's like Bond being very cheeky the whole time, like, no, he knows what he's doing. He knows he's winding up Q, and he's also being successful, so is Q being like, Now pay attention or please return the... You know, it's all of this. Uh, but this time they're in India, which means yeah. there's some Indian things that we get where there's a a man climbing a rope, like a snake-charping rope or something, I guess it's meant to be, and... He starts climbing it, but the the thing's meant to be stiff. But then he like falls down as the guy climbs, and he falls. Of which Bond says, "Having problems keeping it up." Q, <laughs> like,
1: yeah, not not the most um, classy of of quips from Bond, mind you. What are I suppose?
0: Yeah, not in this film. And it's like it's it's too old for those jokes. Bond.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe he actually does. All right, so maybe it's like a a touchy subject for Q. Doesn't want to talk about it.
0: Yeah, very rude. So they then sit down eventually and we get another one where there's a door with spikes that opens and Bond's like smashing Q or something. So <laughs> so they then get... So Bond still has the egg. So he never gave up that egg because he won the game and he was being chased to get the egg back but they didn't get it so he still has it. So he gives it to Q and Q talks about this hobbing device. And in that little model... That's inside the egg. I'm sure everyone remembers that when I mentioned it. <laughs> and he places a homing device in within that, uh, inside the egg. And he then shows Bond the gadget of the film, a fountain pen. And this is multi-purpose. It, If you kind of spin it at the, the tip of the pen, it spits out acid. And that acid can melt metal. And also the pen holds an earpiece. So if Bond puts that earpiece in, he can hear what uh, he can hear where the the bug is that's inside like the tracker the the device um there's a radio in there so bond can hear what's going on and then also he reveals that uh the watch has a tracker so bond can it, it beeps when it's close to the egg so bond can use his watch to find where the egg is or find where the tracker is inside the egg and it was at this point where i was really getting exhausted doing notes because it's not just the story scenes that are really confusing and packed in. Like, all the scenes are kind of like this. So what I've kind of described, I think, doesn't sound that crazy compared to the other films, where it's like, oh yeah, Bond goes to Cube Brunch or MI6 in a different country and then gets debriefed and gets a new gadget. Like, that sounds very standard. And this time it happens to be a fountain bin. But even this scene is just really, like, packed to the point where it's just so easy to miss stuff and it makes it very hard when you're trying to do notes for a film when you have to try and get everything down to talk about because it's like, just slow down, please, just a little bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's true. I mean, it, on on, this, on the face of it, it's just, it's just okay, Q is adding a tracker and a microphone to this egg and there's a pen that spits acid. There you go, D- job done, right? But I don't, yeah. something about this film and the fact that it is two hours and ten minutes... Everything is just so drawn out.
0: Well, I think drawn out, but I think it's interesting because it's not drawn out. It's also densely packed. Like, I would say it's quite interesting the film. I would not describe it as slow-paced. There's just too much stuff.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's like, a fairer way of putting it,
0: yeah. Yeah, like, The Man with the Golden Gun was very slow-paced. Like, there was clear padding in here. I would say this film, despite being, I want to say, the second longest Bond film up to this point, 131 Minutes, the only one that's been longer is on a Majesty Secret Service, which had quite a lot going on. Uh, this is like, yeah, 131 minutes and it still moves really quickly and it's still so easy to miss stuff. And it's like the worst of both worlds where it's like, it's both long and confusing. It's like, how did you do that? Like, how did you make the second longest Bond film and still jam pack it with stuff that it's so easy to miss things as you go along?
1: It's okay, though, because after all this confusion, you get a very, a very easy-to-understand gadget, which Bond gets to play <laughs> around with. <laughs> I understood that quite clearly, thank you very much.
0: Go on, then. Okay, oh,
1: thanks. Um, yeah, there's also uh, a liquid crystal display in the new technology of 1983, I guess, back then, um, which Bond then spots a camera... Uh, attached to the monitor showing this this display and walks around and has a little go with the camera pointing it and just so happens to be this uh, very beautiful lady in the background working in Hugh Branch sat down with a lot of cleavage on show and so Bond takes this as an opportunity to (laughs) in the most childish possible manner uh, zoom in and out (laughs) of this woman's breasts and uh, obviously Q spots that and says, Oh, don't be so immature 007, or sort of thing. But it's so it they they it's like this very specific cut-in shot of what's meant to be the the visual of yeah, this like zooming in and out of these of these boobies and it's like haha boobies funny. <laughs> it's just pathetic. I hate it. Bond wouldn't do that, would he? Come on.
0: I don't think so. I, not in this way. It, it would be a lot. If he did, it would be a lot quicker. But this is like... He zooms right in and leaves it there. And that's it. And the woman, I think, notices because it's on, like, six different TVs. Yeah. And it's just fine with it. That's what... uh, I think it's one of those where, like, the world doesn't react properly to it. Like, he's acting like a child and only cues for, like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah. (laughs) But, like, somebody
0: else should be, like okay bond or the woman should be annoyed or something right like something to ground her a bit more like she should just get up like but no she just sits there looking at tv screens looking at her cleavage while bond's like <laughs> <laughs> it's just,
1: it's just it's also like, the speed of the zooming in and out is is just, I mean, we've said it's how like there's so many parts of this film that it's pure comedy this is one of them it's just this like this ultra fast zooming in and out and uh yeah it's um, not not Bond's finest moment in a Q branch. I really dislike how this whole scene ends, to be honest.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I think Q and Bond's chemistry is still pretty good, which is nice. Not as good as the last film, but still nice to see them go back and forth. But yeah, this whole scene. It's interesting that most of the Q branch scenes have actually not been very good.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think I think this is the thing as well is where we are seeing all these so close together. And we're getting all these Q scenes back to back. We are noticing that. Whereas if someone asked me that before, I would say, Oh yeah, the Q the, the Q branch scenes are great. They're always good fun. There's always a bit of something going on in the background and Q acting all doddery and, and turning off Bond. I would have said they're like really enjoyable. But I just think and they're they're not terrible, but they're definitely not great. They're just they're just there a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, I think it's they try and mix up the formula and it just doesn't work, but yeah, Bond and Q are always usually a good time. It's just they usually put a load of stuff around it. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But it's just sad to see that sometimes, it's actually quite a lot of the time, it, it yeah. doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, how does that Q branch scene end? I know that he gets his jacket repaired, and that's he gets, it. He just gets the jacket, and yeah. he's good to go. Okay, then. So after that, he Bond heads back to the hotel. And he is stopped by one of the workers there and says, "All oh, your table is is ready, sir." And Bond's, you know, I didn't, I didn't reserve a table. And there's a lady waiting for you. And he goes over, and it's it's that lady from the auction. We still don't know her name. In my notes, I'm just put that lady. I have nothing to go by. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy how how long they do not explain what her name is. But uh, she's there, having all this kind of dinner and champagne set up for Bond. Uh, to have dinner with and she's basically there to explain you know khan wants the egg give him the egg he wants to trade the egg for your life sort of deal um and there is a little bit more that there's a little bit that they talk about i really i didn't write any of it down it really didn't seem anything of no this woman comes and takes a photo of bond at one point which bond correctly assumes is uh probably for khan um as a some sort of means to find Bond if he needs to. But yeah, there's there's a little bit of back and forth about making memories or something along those lines together. And I don't know. Is there anything there interesting? No,
0: not really. Like At this point, I assume that she was the Bond girl. But then I remember, well, she can't be the Bond girl. But they've spent quite a bit of time, or Bond has been following her for quite a bit. But we don't get many scenes with her, even though like she's been in the film quite a bit. And the chemistry just isn't really there. But I guess they don't really have a lot of time for the chemistry. It's just, yeah, pretty Bond woman. uh, Yeah, pretty Bond girl hanging out with Bond. And they have dinner because that's what they do. But it's really nothing. Really nothing.
1: Yeah. So she wants the egg still. um, So they go back to, to Bond's room. And they eventually sleep together. They're in bed sharing some champagne uh, or running out of champagne and sharing a cup of it together. This is where I put that I felt like Roger looked really old here. Um I think it's because of partly because of like the fact he's naked Well, not not fully naked but <laughs> showing a lot showing a lot of skin <laughs> and also because of the age of the other the 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 actress um mm. to really just kind of it makes it even more apparent together but also that there is just some very strange kissing going on here like I don't want to dwell on this too much, but the way they, they, they kiss is, first of all, there's some very uh, gross noises, like kissing noises. I've never really noticed this in a Bond film before. But in this one, it's like some weird ASMR stuff going on, but it's like wet. And I was like, this is, no, none of this, please. Um, Kind of gave me the shivers. But also, the way she kisses him is... I like biting his face off. I was like, what, "What's going on with the? Like, what's going on with the chemistry here? Who told them to kiss like this?" Um,
0: I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna back you up on this one, and I say I did also notice. Did you? That the kissing was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like she just opens her mouth way too much. It's like they're really out of sync. Yeah. <laughs> like they're kissing like how fish would. <laughs>
1: have, to, have they never kissed? I think I may have mentioned i I'm not a big fan of the way Roger Moore it's just so weird to talk about this. Uh I'm not a big fan of how Roger Moore kisses in, in these films because it often Go seems on. like he's often seems like he's sucking the soul out of these women. Like you always see his <laughs> cheeks like suck in. I'm like, how how much force are you applying here? Um how much suction are you applying to this? But in this one as well, it's the woman, the other the other one, like biting his face off. And as you say, they're just not in sync. A very uh, strange thing to criticize, but it, it did it did bug me and also gross me out a little bit
0: um well it's weird because as you say you never i've never thought about that you're you're obviously inspecting rogers uh mouth every time frequently. yeah every time freeze frame uh <laughs> but for me i've never thought about it until this film and it's a weird thing at uh, film number 13 to be like well actually what's going on there why don't because you would think they would just reshoot it or something right it's just yeah no time In so many ways it's just sloppy oh, oh no <laughs> <laughs> um
1: Bond notices a tattoo on this lady. I mean, I do know her name, so I'm going to say it now. We don't, you know, if you're watching, you don't know it yet. Her name is Magda. Um, he spots a, a tattoo of an octopus on her, and she goes, "Oh, that's my little octopussy." Um, there you go. There's the film title dropped in.
0: Uh, I should have played I... the Bond theme right there.
1: <laughs> just like yeah, just the twang. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As Roger Moore's eyebrow raises to learn. <laughs>
1: uh and yeah they go back to kissing and sleeping together uh the next morning actually she might have said something about her history there i don't know it doesn't matter doesn't i also
0: matter. like how casual you're being with this because like the film kind of does this as well where you're supposed to just be like oh yeah that's her octopusy tattoo that's fine moving on <laughs> it's yeah. like wait 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 can we talk a little bit about the tattoo please but they just move on they go it's back like- to like awkwardly kissing each other some more but it's like that's what no what was that
1: <laughs> it's it's the name of the film is there anything more to that and it, there is eventually but yeah it is just they do brush over it um and then in the morning or at least sometime later uh she's she's got up uh, bond wakes up and she's already out of bed and she's getting ready to leave and she's very um uh very awkwardly stolen the egg because there was a shot earlier on you saw the egg kind of in bond's jacket on a chair so She's uh, dressing up and right in front of a big mirror as well. Might I add, uh, stealing this egg. But I think obviously the point is that Bond now wants it to be stolen because it has got the tracker and it's got the microphone in it. So I think he's just sort of playing along with it and, and not not pointing it out. But she's taken the egg and um, goes towards the window and there, there's a little back and forth. And uh, she, he's, Bond says something and I can't remember what it is, but it leads to her in a way saying goodbye and and the way she leaves is by tying uh like a sort of scarf thing that she's wearing around the edge of the uh the ledge and then just falling backwards and sort of twirling her way down because uh Gobinda and it might be Khan as well, but I know the henchman's there, ready to pick her up at the bottom in a car. And I quite liked um I quite liked, liked the way she did that. I mean we don't really get much from this character. But I did like her exit there. It was a good exit.
0: It's nice, yeah. I don't know how real this stunt was. <laughs> um, probably not, because it makes no sense. Um, but it did start making me thinking, like, for a film I say in India, they sure don't have a lot of like, like. I feel like surely it, it seems because she's just a white woman and she's the one kind of in this kind of Indian robe. Do then doing the the spin, mm. and it did make me think, like, yeah, there's no Indian Bond girl in this film. And it feels like this character is probably the one that should have been Indian, but instead she's just like a blonde white woman. That's a
1: really good point. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of... It's it's not... It's bad that you can kind of imagine why they wouldn't have done this. Um, And it's it's very much like a sort of whitewashing Mm. here going on with some characters. I mean, I don't know in terms of... I think maybe that... I I did read something about the octopusy character that we'll see soon. Maybe they wanted them to be more of indian heritage but obviously that's not who we got we end up getting someone we've seen we've seen before but yeah you're, you're you're spot on it would have been nice to have someone at least indian in this film um apart from yeah we, we won't go
0: into it too much but yeah a lot of these characters probably shouldn't have just been like white people but like most of this film is a lot of white people when like their backgrounds are implying that they are they're not like they're from different countries and it it's just a little bit weird like Khan is i want to see where the actor was from he was born I think he's in french french yeah he's a french actor even yeah. though it's meant to be like an afghan prince living in india and it's just all a bit weird and it makes the stereotypes i think stand out more because when they do have an indian person they feel way more stereotypical because who was supposed to be the more grounded indian characters are just kind of played by white people <laughs> it's just like okay this this is odd
1: yeah yeah spot on oh also one one point uh, bond does check his watch just to check that the tracker is working, and yeah it's pointing towards her uh uh magda, who did have the egg at that point, so just a look kind of little reminder to the to the audience about this is how bond is tracking the egg on this watch, a little red dot beeping and and moving around uh, but yeah as she goes down the window um bond is knocked out by uh gobinda and um Taken away somewhere.
0: Yeah, and... Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to really say about this scene. Awkward chemistry there <laughs> between those two, but it's over. It's over. <laughs> we're still not over the egg stuff, so... I no, can't the... remember when the egg stuff gets wrapped up, but we're still not over the egg stuff. It's quite
1: near the end when we like we last see the egg, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I was talking... On bit of a tangent but we were talking about how like why don't the opening credits f- go more into the theme of the film to tie that visual identity a bit more uh but i'm partly kind of glad they didn't for this one because it would have just been the egg yeah would've just in like women coming out of eggs <laughs> would have hatching been the... out of eggs <laughs> yeah and like guns shooting eggs or something like that's what it would have been because this film is all egg
1: it really is egg and circus
0: oh god so Anyway, so then we cut to uh, this big rowboat, like a very big rowboat, and we see Khan standing in the middle holding the frappache egg, and all the women, like well, all the people rowing, are just women for some reason. And Khan is like, come on, ladies, or, or something. And they then arrive, and they're going to the palace that we saw earlier, I'm pretty sure. This got confused. Even this palace stuff confused me, because later on in the film, we're introduced to a separate palace which is like a floating island (laughs) but that's different to this palace there's like two different palaces in this film
1: yeah i assume one of them is is khan's and one of them is octopuses right
0: yeah that's the whole point but it's just one of those ways just they don't establish these places very well but no uh, we we saw this earlier where this is where all the guards were where uh, vj showed bond saying that's khan's palace so now uh, khan is returning to his palace and there's, it's very nice, very fancy. There's like a pool, because there's always a pool in this country, apparently. Uh, and a lot of women kind of just hanging out and we see some... No, wait, no, maybe this is the island and not the palace. Because he's going um, to speak to yeah,
1: Octopus. Yeah, because yeah, we don't actually see her. But yeah, you're right. This must be that.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so I even... Okay, so that's how confusing it is. I just got that wrong. But you can, I hopefully you can understand why I got that wrong because they pointed out the palace from before. But I'm pretty sure the palace and the island are two different places.
1: Well, yeah, one of them's on top of a
0: cliff. <laughs> yeah, because the end of the film takes place in Khan's palace, but this is Octopussy's
1: <laughs> floating oh. palace. Yeah,
0: yeah, but I'm pretty sure this is not what they showed before when Fiji said, "Look over there." Oh. <laughs> That's why I'm confused. Or maybe he did, but I'm pretty sure he didn't say, that's Octopus's Palace. I'm pretty sure he was like, that's Khan's Palace.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. one of them is called Monsoon Palace, which is Khan's.
0: You see it's what's happening here, folks? It's just... Uh, this is the ultimate don't think about it film, but if you don't think about it, then you've just got nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Catch <laughs> twenty two.
0: You have to think about it or else you're going to sleep. So, yeah, so uh, a lot of women escort Khan to the back of the palace and we see some fish in tanks and he enters a room round the back and has the egg and he's showing somebody the egg and he's all like, I thought you would be pleased, but the, the woman, so we don't see her face. We just hear her talk and she's, she's very upset. And Khan says, don't worry. We, we have the thief, the person that stole the egg. And I think she is saying like that person should be killed or something. But eventually she's like, so who is the thief? And he's like, well, it's a British agent. And eventually he says it's James Bond. And the mysterious woman says, bring Bond to me, of where Khan says, I don't think that's a good idea, but I'm going to do it anyway, because it's you. And we see the woman then feeding an octopus. And I have to say, for all this film's faults, I actually did quite like this scene, the way they kind of set up, I'm going to spoil it, octopussy. Um, her voice is actually really good. mm uh, she actually really does bring some, I guess, dignity, I guess is the word I'm thinking of, to to the way she speaks. There is a real kind of power and uh, confidence behind it. And you get that instantly from this scene, even though you don't actually see her at all.
1: Yeah, no, they do a good job with that aspect of hiding the character and how you can see her reaction to the name James Bond as she's feeding the octopus. And there's, you know, they, they sell a lot with just the visuals there. And um, it's a shame that doesn't really i mean it, it's not like a a blowfold level of hiding the character sort of thing but it it's nice that they do it at least a little bit here
0: yeah it i like the effort and i think this actress does pull it off quite well as well mm. although it goes back to what we were saying how like there's just too many characters and too many villains in this film because we're a decent way into this film not long enough in my opinion but we're a decent way into this film and we're being introduced to someone else in an all mysterious way where we've already had the general and then Khan and Khan's reporting to someone who's now about to be introduced who's like a core part of the film (laughs) why is this happening so late I don't know I've yeah I forgot about the general already (laughs) yeah right like it feels weird talking about the general but it's a core part of the film but we've just introduced to other characters who are core part of the films because as I said before when we're talking about Russia like we're now just in India doing stuff in India it's the general definitely this film. Maybe you're thinking it was the film before. Oh, might. That would make more sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, you have reached the end of part one of episode 13 of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Joe next time where Bond meets Octopussy, discovers a Russian plot against the West before going undercover at the circus. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for part two.